You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. It's good to see you. My name's Jeff Metters. I'm new here. Um, so great to be back from sabbatical. Had a great summer relaxing and enjoying time with family and traveling and just enjoying all the gifts that God gives us on this side of eternity. It's just been such a blast. And so I'm so grateful for the elders here and other leaders that stepped in while I was away, especially in the preaching and for all my friends from the outside that came in just to bless you guys. I'm really, really grateful. I was really able to disconnect and uh, get revived and replenished again. I mean, so much that even uh, at our gym where we worked out a lot this year and especially a lot this summer, someone asked, hey, what time are services on Sunday at your church? I'm thinking about coming. And I said, nine o'clock. And I don't know when the other one is. I said, I think it's 1030. And I'm so glad Deanna Rippey overheard me. And she said, it's actually 1045. He, he, it's, he's wrong. I was like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, it's 10.45. Okay, go with her. I don't know. I, I'm so out of it. And so it is 10.45. We're here. And I'm so glad to be back. Um, and let's see if I remember how to preach. You want to roll the dice? Or the lots? Let's see. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, that's where I left off. So we're just going to pick up where I left off in the gospel according to Matthew. We'll begin in verse 32. And eight weeks ago, what we saw in the gospel of Matthew is, is Jesus displaying his wisdom, displaying his power, displaying his authority. And here in chapter 10, he's talking about being on mission for him. You may remember Jesus saying things like, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into his harvest. He talked about sending out his disciples and arming them and empowering them for ministry. He tells us not to be afraid that we encounter things in the world because he knows the Father knows how many hairs are left on our head and he knows when two sparrows fall to the ground, so don't be afraid. That's verse 31 of chapter 10. And now we'll pick up in verse 32. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the words of Christ. Beginning in verse 32, King Jesus says to us, therefore everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But... Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones 
because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we hear these words of your son, these breathed out words of God, and may they land into our hearts and our minds for what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to walk with the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So meet us now, King Jesus, help us. And it's in your name and by your blood that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, this summer... Uh, I've already talked about kind of the gym and, and trying to make strides at being healthy. I can say for the first time in my life, uh, I have willingly eaten vegetables. I have never eaten vegetables willingly as an adult until this year. It's been life-changing. They're actually not as disgusting as I used to think. And we've been exercising and, and trying to eat, you know, still eating the wrong foods. But the key to eating wrong foods, I've learned, is you have to eat them at the right time. And you have to eat them in nearly the right amounts, too. Uh, that's, that's really key. And so for us in our home, fitness goals and all those things seem more attainable because of just clarity and some coaching and help. But back in high school, I was so confused about health and fitness. So confused. When, when trying to shed some weight in high school, I remember getting into Slim Fast. And Slim Fast had great taste, I learned great promises on the labels and the boxes and the commercials, the people dancing, they all had great results. And I thought, let's get into this. But it wasn't working for me. I didn't understand what was happening. I had slim fast every morning on my way to school. And instead of actually shedding weight, I was gaining weight with slim fast. I thought it must be my metabolism. Maybe it's my thyroid. I don't know what's going on. Well, apparently here's what I learned. SlimFast isn't just a chocolate milk replacement with your donut holes on the way to school. SlimFast isn't just swapping out the Borden's chocolate milk from Shipley's with your two kolaches on the way to chemistry. I didn't know SlimFast was a meal replacement. I thought it was just a drink replacement. So there I am eating my kolache. Well, this has got to be, it's slim fast. It's just going to down it all away. So of course I got more flabby. Of course, I got more doughy because I was not clear on how this is supposed to work. I was confused. And I hope you heard what Jesus said in verse 34, because he wants to lay out for us, don't be confused about what it looks like to actually follow me. Verse 34, don't assume, because Jesus knows you guys are we're going to get confused about what it means to follow him. We're not going to have clarity on what it looks like to follow Jesus. And here's what Jesus is telling us. Listen, church, salvation is free. We are saved by grace through faith. That is free. But discipleship, following Christ, is costly. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. And it begins here. Jesus reminds us the cost of confessing Christ. Look at verse 32 with me. Verse 32, Jesus says, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. So right now, what Jesus is reminding us, your walk with me has a public dimension to it. Look at what he says, before others. And that's outsiders, not, not just other Christians, but outside of these walls, Outside of our homes, where we meet for small groups and Bible studies. Outside of our cars, where we listen to our, maybe our favorite worship music. 
Jesus is talking about acknowledging him before others. And the word acknowledge here, your Bible may say something else, uh, something like confess me before others or an admission of allegiance is really how this word is used in Greco-Roman culture. And when you admit allegiance, you pledge your allegiance to Christ, all your other allegiances get flipped around and in the right order. Where are my Aggies at? Y'all were half a second slow. First service had you beat. So let's, let's go with Aggie uh, traditions here. Let's, let's assume, let's make up an Aggie family. It will be very close to home. Let's make up an Aggie family. They have uh, two maroon cars for some reason. They paint their walls in ascending orders of maroon and white and cream and beige. Their firstborn child is named, what's the dog's name? Reveille, that's their boy's name. Here, a little Reveille. They got the ATM logo on their back fence. They've got the cornhole boards that are ATM. Their toilet seat is a UT logo and all that stuff. For years, they're grooming and training and talking about allegiance to A&M and how they both loved it so much, on and on and on. Well, then their son graduates high school. So where are we going, son? You know, we can go up to Brian this week. We got college station. We got our season tickets at Kyle Field. And he says, I don't know, dad. What's the matter, Reveille? I kind of feel drawn to Austin. I, I just feel a pull to the Longhorns. What would happen in this home? Pastor, our son, our son. Years, these allegiances and this training and all this, but then it's denied. It feels heartbreaking. Our allegiances aren't hidden. Like our family, we're a strong Adidas-only, three-stripe life family. If we can help it, we'll only wear Adidas. You know, sometimes we have to wear other stuff or whatever when we're working out and it's all that's clean or whatever. But if I ever put on social media, I just bought a new Under Armour shirt. No, I've been kidnapped or taken hostage. That's my one message out. I will never support Steph Curry's brand and what he's doing and all that. I'm rockets, ride or die. Because we don't hide our allegiances. This is what Jesus is getting at. If you acknowledge, pledge my allegiance your allegiance to me before others. Look at what he says. I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But 33, but whoever denies me, whoever hides their allegiance to me, whoever dismisses their allegiance to me, I will also deny you. Beloved, how is your allegiance to Christ? How's your, your public? As I know, if I say, how's your allegiance to Jesus? You may default and think, well, I know Christ is the only way. I know the Bible's true. I know Christianity's true. Uh, I am totally aligned with Christ. I'm not relying on myself to be saved. That's not the kind of allegiance Jesus is talking about. He's talking about before others, verse 32, before others, public, displayed. And those conversations in your office, moments with a family member, Windows of opportunity to talk about Jesus. What happens? Maybe a coworker even asks, aren't you religious or something? Where does it go from there? Do you say, oh yeah, yeah, are, are you? And just try to get out of the subject? If we are going to be faithful disciples of Christ, we must be confessing and testifying disciples of Christ as well. Not just in here, but before others. 
And I want you to notice one word in verse 32 that I think will really ratchet up the intensity and the clarity, getting rid of the confusion of how we really do acknowledge this allegiance to Christ before others. Look at 332 with me again. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me, me. That's the kicker, beloved. In the Bible Belt, it is so easy to acknowledge church. No one is ruffled by that. I go to church with a neighbor, a friend at the gym. You can acknowledge faith. Yeah, I have faith. I'm a person of faith. But that's not me. That's not the person. That's not Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the man, the one who took your sins to the grave and took your guilt away and trampled down death and the one who silenced every condemnable word against you. Jesus says, acknowledge me. It's too easy to settle for acknowledging church. I wonder if that's you. It's too easy to settle for acknowledging religion to acknowledging faith or acknowledging doctrine or even Christianity. But those things aren't Jesus. We got to acknowledge him. Acknowledge that he's the one you follow, that he has authority over your life, that he's in charge of your decisions, your marriage, your money, your eternity. So I just want to encourage us to talk about Jesus, not church. Talk about Jesus, not religion. Brag on Jesus, not Christianity. And that's when things will get electrifying. That's when you get that little static shock when you touch someone or you're like picking up your kids. And, oh, you get that little pop. When you begin to talk about Jesus in your conversations, then there'll be a little pop and a little difference, a little shock. And then you can really get somewhere. There's a great thing that could happen. But Jesus says, don't assume it's going to be all easy. There is a great cost benefit to confessing him. Look look at verse 32 again. I'll acknowledge him. Whoever acknowledges me before others, look at what happens now in the throne room between Jesus and the Father. I will also acknowledge. I will also pledge my allegiance to you before my Father in heaven. This is amazing. When your name comes up, Jesus says, I know them. They're with me. They've been raised from the dead with me, united in my death and resurrection. And I'm, Jeff Matters, I know him. He's united to me. I pledge, he pledges his allegiance to me. I pledge my allegiance to him. And Father, I've been preparing a room for him in your house this whole time. It's Rockets themed too. As the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. But I wonder how often we have been ashamed to be associated with him. We've been hesitant or fearful, wondering if the relational fallout is going to be worth it. Yeah, here's what you need to know. You might lose that friend. But here's also what you need to realize. You might gain a brother in the kingdom or you might not lose that friend. You might gain a sister in the kingdom forever. So Jesus says, I want you to know the cost of following me. And I want you to see also the cost of denying me. What happens if you don't know Jesus? 
When he, you, you and Jesus are walking in the hall and he waves at you and you don't look at him. What happens? Verse 33. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my father in heaven. Beloved, Jesus is a person. He's not just an abstract of theological positions cobbled together. He's a living, breathing person. He's relational. He isn't a one-way street of agreeing with Bible facts. You acknowledge me, I acknowledge you. Deny me, I will deny you because clearly you don't know me and I don't know you. Jesus is stating the significance of responding to him, of your response to him. Your eternity is forever connected to how you treat Jesus of Nazareth. If you believe he died for your sins and rose again, that he's alive and well today, Jesus says, then talk like it then. Then live like it before others that you believe I'm alive. I, I hope we just will all feel the force of what Jesus is saying to us. And not be confused. Genuine discipleship with Jesus will include acknowledging him before others. There is no non-disclosure agreement in the kingdom of Christ. If you want a non-disclosure agreement with Jesus, then that's what he will have with you before the Father in heaven. I don't know him. I don't know her. This cost goes two ways, beloved. You, you may lose a friendship. You may, you may rock the boat at a family Thanksgiving or you may be denied by Jesus later. And Jesus is so honest with us, and I love that about him. He, and he tells us, even the cost of confessing me, the cost sometimes is close to home. Sometimes you hear that Christianity will make your life easier. Everything gets easier, less complicated if you come to Jesus. You'll become a champion. You'll get your dreams. Those are lies. Look what Jesus says in verse 34. Don't assume he has to tell us that because he says, hey, I know y'all are thinking this, so let me go ahead and help you not think this. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Bring peace. That's what the Messiah is supposed to do, right? Peace on earth. Uniting God's people. This is exactly what Jesus' Jewish disciples right here would have thought the Messiah is going to bring. Peace Get rid of Rome, get rid of the divisions, get to bring peace, unite us all together. And I hope as, as you read this verse and heard Jesus say this, don't assume I'm bringing peace, but a sword. I hope something clicked in your mind. Christmas. Isn't this what the angels are singing? Peace on earth, harps, 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 goodwill to all men. So how can the angels sing this on a Galilean hillside? And how can Jesus say this at the same time? Well, the angels and the prophets, what the angels are singing about from the Old Testament, they are talking about the kind of peace that his kingdom will bring in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Peace forevermore. No sin, no death. Satan tortured forever in the lake of fire himself. But on this side of the trumpet blaring that high note, Jesus is saying, what's going to happen to my followers now will not be a lot of peace on earth, but will be a lot of swords. Disciples crucified upside down. The apostle Paul's head getting chopped off in Rome. 
Beloved, following Jesus now, don't assume it's gonna be all hunky-dory. Don't assume it's gonna make things easier in your family. Don't assume it's gonna make your business all of a sudden flourish. Jesus quotes from the prophet Micah here in verse 35, look, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, man's enemies, those of his own household. There are no more deeper bonds on earth than family. Father, son, mother, daughter, together. Typically, these are the closest bonds we have. And Jesus says, don't assume that you following me is gonna make it easy in your family. He says, actually, it might make it very, very hard. Just being honest with you. It could happen to you that the ones you love most on earth could hate you the most. Or maybe they'll just like you less. Maybe they'll despise you. Your family might distance themselves from you. Your friends might not invite you to those weekends that they used to. Relationships could erode, Jesus says. Be prepared. Because it all comes down to love. Look at verse 37. He says, the one who loves a father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. This could happen in this culture where I, I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but my, my parents, this happens in Asian cultures, this happens in American culture. But my parents aren't into that. They don't, they don't like that. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. And did you see the escalation here from the beginning of the passage? What was Jesus talking about before? Acknowledging. You acknowledge me, pledge allegiance to me. Now he ratchets the volume up to love me first. This is incredible what Jesus is saying. If anyone, as you talk and you evangelize and you talk about Jesus, and maybe you think about Jesus, you just think he's a good teacher. Look at what he's saying. If I'm just a teacher, and that's all I am, and I come up and I say, if you love your kids more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. You'd be like, this guy's a nut. We're out of here. And you should leave. So here is Jesus telling his disciples and telling us now and telling 2,000 years of Christians, if you love anyone more than me, you don't understand me. This cannot just be a normal person, just a great teacher telling us these things. This is God in flesh speaking to us. We love him first. Of course, we love everyone. But Jesus says, I take the first chair. And sometimes people who confess the name of Christ, who, who say I'm a Christian, they do end up loving son or daughter more than Jesus. I see it all the time. Grown kids, especially, where grown kids start to distance themselves from their parents because their parents' allegiance to Jesus. Or it may happen that what I also see is that as those grown kids distance themselves from their parents because their parents' allegiance to Jesus, the parents can't handle it. So they start to weaken. They start to put Jesus in the background. Stop going to church less. Stop reading their Bibles less. Don't even show up to church anymore for months on end because they can't handle their kids distancing themselves from them because their kids don't love Jesus. And so Jesus isn't worth it to the parents anymore. I've seen it all the time. 
And Jesus wants to tell those people, don't assume that I know you. The erosion can happen. But listen, don't let it happen because you're a jerk follower of Jesus. This is the flip side of this. Some people are like, oh, I got swords and divisions everywhere. I'm such a great follower of Christ. No, you're a jerk. If the sword comes between the relationships, because you're always calling your family out, you're always rebuking them, always judging them, that's on you, not Jesus. See, Jesus says, it's because of your allegiance to me, your confession, your building your life on me, your life, not their life. You building your life on my words, the rock of my testimony, not trying to tell them what they should do, how they should build their life on Christ, how they should do all these things, how they should turn or they're gonna burn. The disapproval, the distancing that can come with following Christ, the mocking, the eye rolling, the actual hatred and physical persecution that happens to our brothers and sisters all throughout the world. This is a cross to bear that Jesus says. Look at verse 38. In context, look at what he says. 38, and whoever doesn't take up his cross, these crosses of being hated by son or daughter, being hated, being put against mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, son, father, mother, cousin, uncle, friend, coworker. If you don't take up his cross and follow me, Jesus says, not worthy of me. We've all heard this phrase in our culture. Ah, oh, this is my cross to bear. You know, being big boned, that's my cross to bear. No, it's not. It's genetics. Having an annoying neighbor or a coworker, that's my cross to bear. No, it's not. That's just reality. This is life. Having a cross to bear is, in this culture, it's, Jesus is doing two things for us to really help us out. Because some of us will never have physical crosses to bear. But some of these disciples hearing this will have physical, Peter will have a physical cross to bear by the end of his life. There are Christians around the world who have had been crucified under ISIS reign in the last 10 years. But what Jesus is telling us, because crucifixion was so horrible, so disgusting, it was seen as horrifying, vitriol, you're, you're a scum, that's why you're being crucified, and you're a harm to society, that's why you're being crucified. To be crucified is that you have been labeled as harmful to the fabric of our society, and we gotta get you out of here. So Jesus is telling us, you know why your friendship with that person falls apart because of your allegiance to Christ? Because they are viewing you as harmful to their society, harmful to their way of things. And this is becoming true in Europe right now. And this will become and is becoming more and more true in the United States now, where you and I and this book, where we used to be seen as out of step, um, 1950s, bebopper, weirdo, judgy people. Now you and I, Christians, are being viewed as harmful to society. And that is gonna be our cross to bear because we will not be lockstep with the culture. We will be lockstep with a death march carrying our cross, carrying the shame of being associated with Christ, being seen as a moron by our grown children because we won't affirm what they affirm because of our allegiance to Christ. So Jesus says, expect a life of discipleship that doesn't just include Sunday mornings and a small group and quiet Bible reading times with a fresh cup of coffee. 
Expect splinters and expect sore shoulders from carrying whatever cross you're gonna have to carry. And each has his own cross. Whoever takes up his cross, her cross, yours will be different from mine. Yours will be different from your Christian friends in another city or in another town or in another country. See, Jesus carried his cross. He paid for our sins, forgiving all of our sins. And now we carry ours, imitating him, taking that same death to self march like he did. And he marched on to Calvary, identifying with us, social shame and all, the humiliation, the disgust. And we do the same with our allegiance to a Galilean and galaxy reigning Lord. That's what we do. That's real life. Cross-bearing. That's what Jesus says in verse 39. Look, anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life takes up his cross because of me, we'll find it. This verse, I think, is really helpful in diagnosing current popular American Christianity. There are so many people and so many churches and so many books and radio programs that are all about Christians finding your life. Find your dreams, chase them, get them, become everything that you're wired to be. Life coach ministries and all that mumbo jumbo is a fast lane to destruction. You are not here to find the true you. Jesus says that's how you lose your life. You want to lose your life? Find it. If you think life is all about knowing your Enneagram and bettering yourself, you've lost your life. You haven't found it. But if your life, you lose what you think life is supposed to be about and you lose those dreams and those visions and you ascribe to Jesus' way of making disciples and making much of him, Jesus says you found it. If you lose the American dream and find the vision of Christ, You find life indeed. And Jesus ends by telling us, just run the cost-benefit analysis of acknowledging me. Just run it. Just think about what we've heard so far. You find the real you when you make much of Jesus and make disciples because he's raised you from the dead. That's why. You're a new person. You're born again. The, the person that was pre-Christ before you were converted, that's not the real you. This is the real you now in Christ, being transformed into his image. He isn't just, Jesus isn't just something we add on to our lives. He fills us with his spirit and we start to find then everything God made us to be. Run the cost-benefit analysis again. Acknowledge him, he acknowledges you. Pledge your allegiance to him, he pledges his allegiance to you. Deny him, non-disclose him, hide him, he denies you. Bear your cross, you will find life. Lose what you think life is, you will find life. And now in this, in this last part, Jesus is identifying with us. Remember, this whole section, chapter 10, is all about being on mission with Jesus, living to spread his name, to evangelize, to plant churches, to go to the nations, And look at what he says in verse 40. The one who welcomes you welcomes me. 
And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. This is so cool. Jesus says, when someone accepts you, they accept you and your message you're saying, Jesus says, guess what? They've welcomed me. And if they welcome me, they welcome the Father. We are not alone on mission for Jesus, bearing our cross. He says, I'm right there. And when evangelism, that, hap- that conversation you're just trying to get through and get out and faithfully tell someone about Jesus, that evangelism over that bowl of pho with a coworker, Jesus is there. The triune God is at work there too. Because the mission of our church isn't just to throw on services on Sunday and to teach you how to be a good citizen. The mission of our church is to make disciples and make much of Jesus, whatever the cost. And that's the mission of your life too. And we all have different roles. That's what Jesus gets at next. Look at verse 41. Anyone who welcomes a prophet, a, a heralder of God's word, we could say, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who welcomes a righteous person, because he's righteous, be like a a godly leader or or a godly seasoned veteran Christian, we could say, he will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, just your normal, average, everyday Christian, just like us, because he's a disciple, truly, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. So what's Jesus getting at? Some of us have ministries where they're, bringers of the word. Some of us can open the Bible in a small group. We can help people understand things, help people understand and explain and see how this is pointing to Jesus. Some of us, are, we open our homes and we welcome those people in. Some of us are just, have been Christians for years and we're, hopefully we're all righteous people. But what Jesus is getting at, someone who has a reputation for being a righteous leader, veteran Christian, helping people understand. And some of us welcome, care for, and help those people. Most of us, all of us, we're just the normal, everyday Christian who gives out a cup of cold water and gets a reward. Did you see the, the, the difference, how Jesus started? Prophet, preacher, big bringer, conference speaker, Bible translator, missionary, these big things, cup of water, you get a reward. But you see what else is amazing here? Did you see the correlation, the factor of these rewards? Who gets what? What does the prophet get? Yes, 41, a prophet's reward. But if you welcome a prophet, you hospitable towards a prophet, you serve alongside a prophet, what do you get? The hospitality certificate. No, look at 41. Whoever welcomes a prophet receives what? A prophet's reward. What is Jesus getting at? Think about this. When the Astros won the World Series, who got World Series rings? Who got rings? Who got the bling? The players did, of course. Head coach, GM, of course. You know who else did? Stadium staff. Lower level coaches, you would never know their names. People that book the flights and book the hotels for the players. Why? Because it takes everyone, a team, a body, together. Sure, Altuve gets the headlines. 
Correa, Bregman, Hench, they're the guys that get the praise. Their names are big. We know their names, hear them. And sure, Martin Luther and John Piper, Matt Chandler, Elizabeth Elliot, Corey Tinboom, they've got the big headlines. But the brother and the 1500s who hid Martin Luther in his castle so he could translate the New Testament into everyday German, he gets a reformer's reward too. And the brother who took John Piper to an early morning flight so he could go to the Philippines and preach Christ to thousands, he gets a conference speaker's reward too. Same reward. You see, we're all in this together. No one's more important. No one's more needed. You have a role in the kingdom of Christ. Bear your cross. Confess his name before others. Fulfill your ministry. Make disciples. Make much of Jesus. The cost will be high. Don't assume it won't. But the reward of being with Christ is far higher. And we will do this together. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us. Help us to make disciples, to confess you before others. It's so easy. It's too easy for us to just acknowledge church and the Bible Belt. It's too easy to just acknowledge Christianity. Help us to acknowledge you, the living, breathing Lord of all. May things get real in our walk with Christ. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.